Hello, and welcome to episode 46 of Silver Screeners. I'm your host, Frank, vocally coming through your device from Massachusetts. I want to thank you, as always, for clicking that little triangle that points to the right to give this a listen. If this happens to be your first time tuning in, then welcome. And if you've listened before, then thank you for coming back. This show is all in the name of love for the cinema, past, present, and future, and that said, I really mean it when I say thank you for listening. Especially this time around, with my voice being all shot to hell. (laughs) For the last week, I've been sick, congested, headaches, throat on fire, fatigue, the whole thing. I've tested five times for COVID, but keep coming up negative. No fever, so, I don't know, just keeping my distance. But I wanted to get this episode out because Sunday night is Oscar night. That's right, March 27th at 8 p.m. live on ABC. That's the American Broadcasting System for those of you here in the States. But they're also airing in 200 territories worldwide. This episode is probably going to end up being a little shorter, partly because the plan is to offer my predictions for the different Oscar categories, and partly because I need to save my voice for when I scream huzzah and booyah for Troy Kotzer when he nabs his well-deserved Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Coda. But now I'm putting the cop before the horse, so let me back up here. Hopefully you enjoyed the limited series of 10 or 11 episodes over the past two months that took a look at Best Picture winners from the past along with one of their co-nominees. You know, it's eye-opening, really, to see how tastes change and evolve over the generations in terms of the kinds of films the Academy will single out as the quote-unquote best of the year. I was talking with a colleague who had never seen Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese from 1976, and I mentioned how it's not really all that surprising that the original Rocky got Best Picture over Taxi Driver in 76. Taxi Driver is so bleak and disturbing and bloody, while Rocky is all rah-rah, the underdog achieves the American dream. He's even got the American flag blanket. A total time capsule for the year of the bicentennial. But either way, if you at any point listen to this podcast and hear a film title from yesteryear and say to yourself, damn, that old movie? Then woohoo right back at ya. But if you at any point while listening to this podcast hear a film title from yesteryear and say to yourself, damn, that's an old movie. No! Then I respectfully reply with the words of actress Lauren Bacall who said, it's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. Let me give you the structure of today's episode since it deviates from what we have been doing. Since we're not diving into any one or two particular films this time around, we'll begin with a general overview of what we can expect to see during the show on Sunday night. The good, the bad, and the outrageous. Then I'll give you my predictions, which makes me a little nervous since I feel like I'm putting my credibility on the line if I screw up royally. And finally, the poll results and the trivia segment, both involving all of you listeners. So, you ready for the good, the bad, and the outrageous? Come on, let's go! The first thing to address about this year's Oscars is the fact that Steven Spielberg is celebrating his eighth directing nomination. He's won twice, both times back in the 90s, for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. He's also one of the most famous names in directing that ever was. But the record holder for the most directing nods is still William Wyler, with 12 nominations and three wins. 1942's Mrs. Minova, 1959's Ben-Hur, and one of my all-time favorites, 1946's The Best Years of Our Lives, which I did an entire episode on back in November for Veterans Day, so check that episode out if you missed it. Or, hell, if you want to listen again. To use a word that I learned from my friend Stu over in England, it's a corker. One of Spielberg's co-nominees is Jane Campion, who's up for her Netflix film Power of the Dog. Regardless of whether or not she wins, she's already made history as the first woman director to get a second nomination. She's pretty much swept all the precursor awards like the Golden Globe and the Directors Guild, but there was some backlash to what she said in her acceptance speech at the Directors Guild when she singled out Venus and Serena Williams in the room 
said she was honored to be in the same room as them, but then added that they, quote, don't have to play against the guys like I have to, end quote. Campion has apologized since, but final Oscar voting did not begin until after that, so it remains to be seen if this will derail her odds of winning Best Director. So here's where I will begin with my predictions. May as well begin with director, since I've pretty much said it already. <laughs> Alongside Campion and Spielberg are Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, and Ryusuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. Each of them has a pretty credible narrative going for their Oscar campaigns. Brana and Thomas Anderson have never won, and they're both respected filmmakers. They're both also nominated in the original screenplay category for their respective films. One of them will prevail for original screenplay, and if I had to go with one of them, my money's on Brana. Hamaguchi's film is up for Best Picture as well as International Feature, which doesn't happen too often. Maybe a little more than in the past, since they expanded the number of Best Picture slots, but I see Drive My Car getting its recognition in International Feature. I still think that at this point it's Campions to lose, so I'm going to go with her for director. Brana has a good shot at it, Belfast was such a personal film for him, and the Academy has a history of acknowledging intimate storytelling, and after eight career nominations he's due for at least one win, and I think they're going to give it to him in original screenplay. In the adapted screenplay category, uh, this one's a tough nut to crack. Logic dictates Power of the Dog, but the Writers Guild gave it to Sean Hader for Coda. The Golden Globe went to Brana for Belfast, but that's because the Globes don't separate adapted from original. The Lost Daughter, Dune, and Drive My Car round out the list, but keeping in mind that the Academy is hoping to appeal to a bigger TV audience, I can't help but think that they're going to go for crowd pleases, so I'm going to go with Sean Hader for Coda. Let's talk music. If Jermaine Franco gets it for original score for the animated film Encanto, then she'd be the first woman to win for an animated Disney feature film. Hans Zimmer is up for Dune, and he won once before back in the 90s for The Lion King. Johnny Greenwood is up for Power of the Dog, Alberto Iglesias for Parallel Mothers, and Nicholas Bertel for Don't Look Up. I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say that it's going to go to Encanto. I didn't find the score of Encanto too memorable, but that's just my personal opinion. But never underestimate the power of Disney, which owns ABC. As for Best Song... Beyoncé is nominated for the first time for the song Be Alive from King Richard. According to Vanity Fair, she's going to perform it from the tennis courts outside in Compton, and that should make for a pretty cool moment. Van Morrison is nominated for Down to Joy from Belfast, but there's some minor controversy over the fact that the song is based on an unreleased demo of his from the early 70s, which could hurt its chances. Reba McIntyre might have a shot at it for her song Somehow You Do from the film Four Good Days, a film about drug addiction. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is only an Oscar away from being an EGOT winner. That's the acronym for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. And he was nominated for an Oscar five years ago for Moana. I can see the Academy wanting to close that circle for him, but Billie Eilish has been getting a lot of positive word of mouth for No Time to Die from the James Bond film of the same name. I'm going to close my eyes and give a call out to Eilish. Best live action short will probably go to The Long Goodbye, but not having seen any of the animated shorts, I have to go eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and mo is Robin Robin. Throw in Luca for best animated feature while you're at it. For the documentaries, if the feature length award does not go to Summer of Soul, I'll sing the entire score of The Sound of Music until Russell Crowe has a hit movie again. I think that the Netflix documentary short, Audible, has a good shot, given that it's about a hearing-impaired high school football player coping with a tragedy. It's heartbreaking, and it's fascinating, and it would complement Coda pretty well. And now the technical categories. As you may have heard, one of the most controversial decisions made this year by the Academy 
was to take eight of the so-called minor categories and punt them out the door of the Dolby Theater, where they're apparently expected to stand outside and press their noses against the glass like Charlie Bucket, who has to get to his paper route while the other kids descend upon the candy shop like a pack of savages and sing Willy Wonka's praises. To be fair, it has come out that this was not the Academy's initiative, but instead ABC's, in the interest of boosting the perpetually sagging ratings. The categories who got the shaft are mostly in the craft and technical areas like best editing, makeup and hairstyling, sound, original score, production design, documentary short, animated short, and live action short. According to an article on Deadline, this has caused a lot of friction for obvious reasons. I mean, I say personally, what these people bring to any motion picture is just as vital as the more visible faces like the actors and the directors. The plan is that the winners in these categories will be announced before the telecast begins, and then they'll be weaving edited versions of the presentations and presumably the acceptance speeches as well during the show throughout the evening. Carol Urban, that's Carol with a K, who's the president of the Cinema Audio Society, confirmed the rumors that there is a planned protest over the decision. It looks like the attendees who take part in the protest will wear their guild badges upside down during the ceremony, and any Oscar winners who decide to will flip their Oscars when they accept them. Urban told Deadline on March 24th, which was just yesterday, Thursday, quote, We all had faith the Academy would be celebrating all filmmakers, end quote. And when she was asked why the pre-taped plan is bad if the winner will still be shown in the telecast, her answer was, quote, Because what we're going to say is going to be moderated and cut down and limited. And we all know, as does another one of the affected categories, Best Editing, how impactful editing can be to a story. It diminishes the category voices. Additionally, I find it upsetting it's not live in front of a full audience of peers. We don't get to hear that sound of applause of support from the entire community of equal filmmakers. That's very heartbreaking. End quote. To be honest, I think that a lot of what Dune is nominated for, it'll get. That would be visual effects, editing, and sound. West Side Story is a strong contender for sound, I would say. I mean, musicals can be... Tricky to pull off, but come on. That sandworm in Dune? Yeah. I'm thinking that Dune is also going to get production design, though Nightmare Alley is a wicked close second. Dune's also up for makeup and hairstyling, but the Golden Trophy will probably land in the hands of the team behind the eyes of Tammy Faye. As for costume design, Cruella all the way. It's a movie about a fashion designer, for God's sake. Plus, you know, it's Disney, which owns ABC. Cinematography is a toss-up. Ari Wegner is up for Power of the Dog, and she'd be the first female winner in this category. Plus, the film has so much traction that the Academy might just want to give it more than one or two awards. I really like all of the nominated work in this category. We have West Side Story, Dune, Nightmare Alley, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. But unless I miss my guess, I'm going with Wegner for Power of the Dog for this one. That just leaves the acting categories and Best Picture. Best Supporting Actress? Ariana DeBose should have her mantle cleared off by now. She's a lock. And you know that there will be photos galore of her and Rita Moreno side by side. The two Oscar-winning Anitas from both versions of West Side Story? Too good to pass up. But DeBose is good. I mean, really good. Best Supporting Actor? Please, please, please let it be Troy Kotsa. <laughs> His performance as the rough-around-the-edges, frequently horny family man is one that deserves the Oscar more than anything else. Best Leading Actor? Benedict Cumberbatch in Power of the Dog and Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom show that there are a hell of a lot more than superheroes like Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, respectively. But both are so good that they may end up splitting the vote. 
Denzel Washington is good in Macbeth, but there hasn't been a lot of conversation about it. At least not as much as I was expecting that there would be. Plus, he's a two-time winner already, so it may not be time yet for him to get that rare third win. Javier Bardem was the surprise nominee for playing Desi Arnaz and being the Ricardos, but as for my guess, Will, it's all yours. Will Smith for King Richard. He's been nominated twice before for Ali and The Pursuit of Happiness, both back in the arts, so he's earned it. I don't think that King Richard is necessarily a career best for him, but the award going to the right actor for the wrong role happens a lot. Think Al Pacino getting in for Son of a Woman. Leading Actress Four previous winners and one first-time nominee, Kristen Stewart for Spencer. She got a lot of positive buzz back in the fall, but after not getting the Golden Globe and not getting nominated at all for the Screen Actors Guild, her campaign kind of lost momentum. Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball was not entirely convincing, despite her usually solid acting chops. Penelope Cruz might be peeking over the parapet for Parallel Mothers, but the film's too small, I think, to gain any real traction with Academy voters. Which is a shame, because sometimes those are the better-made films. Olivia Colman just won three years ago, so that'll probably be a matter of too much too soon, especially since she prevailed over the presumed frontrunner, Glenn Close. So this one will probably go to Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I have not yet seen. But it's one that both intrigues and repulses me. I don't, I don't tend to have a soft spot for spending two hours watching two money-grubbing con artists screw people left and right, at least not when it's real life and presented dramatically. And finally, best picture. I have it down to two, Power of the Dog and Coda. Okay, here's the thing. Power of the Dog was the front-runner all season long. It got the Golden Globe, Jen Campion's been clearing trophies left and right like a hurdler, but Coda's win at the Producers Guild Awards and its victory at the Screen Actors Guild Awards when it got Best Ensemble, that shifted the narrative considerably. I do think that it's got a real shot at dethroning Power of the Dog for Best Picture. Remember when Crash got it in 2005 over Rookback Mountain? Owen Greenbook beat out Roma in 2018? It has happened, and could happen again. I'm going with Coda, as both likely to win and deserving to win. So there you go. We'll see how it all turns out, and I swear to God that if I got an embarrassing number of predictions wrong... I'll still keep watching films, because I love them, damn it, and better luck next year. So, let's swivel towards the final segment of today's show, the poll results and the trivia segment. So at the beginning of each week, there is a new poll that goes up on my socials for you to take part in, and I really hope that you do. I say every time that I don't want to take the liberty of announcing both first and last names if it makes anyone feel uncomfortable, which is why I always do first name and last initial, but if you say otherwise, then full names it is. For this week's poll, I looked at my personal favorite Best Picture winners from the past 15 or 20 years and narrowed it down to four. Why four? Because four is the maximum number of options that you can put on a Twitter poll. I whittled it down to these pieces of cinematic magic. 2007's No Country for Old Men, 2008's Slumdog Millionaire, 2015's Spotlight, and 2019's Parasite. And thank you, I was thrilled to see as many votes as I did. Over on Twitter, there were five votes for No Country for Old Men and one for Spotlight, and on Facebook, there were 15 votes to tally up, a task I'm grateful for. Six people on Facebook, including Fred Y., Julie S., Jean-Marie D., and Jamie Ty, who guested with her brother back in October on this show for an episode on the Halloween franchise. Paul G., and Deb O. They all voted for Slumdog Millionaire. Ed I, JC, Mary C, and Sean E. How's that? CCE. Made their respect for Spotlight known. 
Stu from the Stu and Al pod, who with his co-host Al appeared on the show a few months back for an episode on the Coen Brothers films, and who were gracious enough to have me on their show in January to talk about Steven Spielberg, Dave P., or Poogee, and Hugh B., they all threw their love in the direction of No Country for Old Men. And Timmy R. and Alicia W. are the two who went for Parasite. So it looks like No Country for Old Men ranked first with eight total. Slumdog Millionaire came in second with six votes. Five votes went to third place, won a spotlight, and two went to the most recent one, 2019's Parasite. Pivoting to the trivia question, in each episode there is a different trivia question that is directly and sometimes indirectly related to the movies or the people in them. And each and every listener is always invited to take a crack at it. You get a shout-out, as well as a movie-related meme sent your way with a personalized greeting. In the last episode, we looked at the year 2016 and the films Moonlight and La La Land, the latter featuring current nominee J.K. Simmons in a small role as the manager of a restaurant where Ryan Gosling's character Sebastian has a piano gig. Simmons is currently up for supporting actor for playing William Frawley, the old curmudgeon who was Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy. This is for the Amazon film Being the Ricardos. The question was, name the 2014 film that got Simmons an Oscar win for Best Supporting Actor. It was directed by La La Land director Damien Chazelle as well. And the answer is Whiplash. And congratulations are in order to perpetual winner Mary C. You have more wins than Meryl Streep and Daniel Day-Lewis combined, so good on you. Thank you, as always, for continuing to listen and playing along. And a retroactive shout-out to Mike W., who sent in his answer for the question from two episodes ago, just as I was uploading last weekend. So hats off to you, Mike, as well. And anybody out there who is a first-time listener, or if you've listened before but never took part in the trivia, go for it. You got nothing to lose and everything to gain, including a fun movie meme with a personalized greeting sent your way via email or direct social media message or however you send your answer in. I'm always happy to plug anything that other people create, a podcast, music, a book, and it doesn't matter when you answer any trivia from any episode. As you just heard with Mike's situation, retroactive shoutouts and memes all around, no matter how much time has passed between any episode's production date and when you listen. And to keep your mental movie motors running, here is this week's trivia question. For the first time since 2018, there's going to be a host. A few, actually. Which has been done before, though not lately. Who hosted the Oscars the most number of times? Was it A, Billy Crystal, or B, Bob Hope? Send your answers over. Just pick either A or B. And as always, if you have any follow-up questions or have any comments, thoughts of your own that you want to share in the nominees, any disagrees or hell yeses to my predictions, get in contact. Filmbuff1974 on Twitter. The Film Group Silver Screen is on Facebook. Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram. Or you can email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And that's all for episode 46. Thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please do not hesitate to rate or review this podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Good Pods, whatever platform you're using. It's always a motivator to keep this humble little podcast going, and any and all feedback and suggestions are always welcome. Thank you again for tolerating my voice. I'm off to go get some tea. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with a not-so-soothing sounds of yours truly if Coda walks away empty-handed by the end of Oscar evening. <laughs>